Daniel Marvin, still arguably newly 18, fresh-faced, a man by the numbers, but so very young still, put his wife Mary, also just 18 years old, into Lifeboat 10 with a steadiness probably not achievable by many teenagers then or now. Everything is going to be fine, he whispered with some amount of urgency. Young girl, be quiet. I stay. Reminiscent of the scene we've memorized, many of us, in James Cameron's Titanic, when Jack tries to put Rose on a lifeboat, the calm, the bravery, the tears welling just underneath the surface. But Mary stayed in her boat, where Rose did not, and she never saw Daniel again. As he waved her off, he dropped a canister of film down to her. He'd been filming the ship. So had she. Passengers remember seeing them in a honeymoon haze with their motion picture camera all over the vessel. Giddy. Utilizing the technology pioneered partly by Daniel's own father, an early filmmaker, to memorialize the crossing and their love. Theirs had been the first filmed wedding in the country, perhaps the world. I don't know that we'll ever know definitively. The whereabouts of the film that Daniel tossed to his bride from Titanic is unknown. One theory is that Mary might have given it to her father-in-law, who saved it in the archives of his company. Perhaps it will turn up one day, but as of this recording, that just doesn't seem too likely, sadly. A love lost to time, a honeymoon lost to it as well. And the film we wish we had of Titanic at sea, perhaps rolled out of a lifeboat into the cold water, forgotten forever. I'm L.A. Beatles, and this is Unsinkable, the Titanic podcast. This is the last I saw. Daniel and Mary Marvin, two of Titanic's honeymooners. As always, at the top of the show, I want to take the time to thank my newest Patreon members. I want to extend a huge thank you to Neve Burns for joining Patreon. Thank you to Holly Watson. Thank you to Salveris. Thank you. And to Sophie Marie. Thank you. I am so grateful that you've chosen to support the podcast. It means the world. Every time I sit down to work on the podcast, my Patreon community is at the top of my mind, at the forefront of my mind. You literally fuel the show. I say it every time. It's true every time. And if you've thought about supporting Unsinkable, I am a completely independent podcast. I am a one-woman show. So Patreon helps me keep this ship sailing. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't use ship metaphors, but ship-related metaphors, uh, but really, truly. 
thank you. Uh, Please stick around after the episode for some pretty big announcements, I have to say, uh, some housekeeping and some fun announcements. So I will see you after we learn about Daniel and Mary Marvin to talk about some unsinkable events. So I wanted to wish everybody of course, a happy Valentine's Day. This topic was inspired by Valentine's Day, although some people might comment that it's a little morbid (laughs) for Valentine's Day. But of course, Titanic is morbid. Titanic is unfortunately a story of suffering and loss. Sometimes we, including myself, tend to over-romanticize Titanic's story. We are going to do a I'm going to do my best today to not romanticize the tragedy but to shed light on some young and beautiful love that was a light on the ship as it made its maiden and only voyage. So Daniel Marvin and his wife were very very young. They are not spoken about or written about in the Titanic world very much but they are weirdly iconic. They are in a lot of the imagery in film adaptations of the story. In SOS Titanic, which is no no secret, it's not my favorite Titanic film, the Marvins are are a pretty big part, pretty big roles. And we see them with the camera. I think the actors were not quite as young as the Marvins actually were. And then in 1997's Titanic, there's a very well-known deleted scene in which Rose is running down one of the decks, talking to Jack about her aspirations in life, and she happens upon someone with a camera, a moving picture camera, and she poses in front of it. And I've talked to enough other Titaniacs that love that film to know that we we all agree that was a good choice to by Jim Cameron to delete that particular scene. It's very cheesy, um, even for Cameron. <laughs> but you know, so the Marvins have entered the lore on film because their story is so compelling, right? Two super young people that were on their honeymoon, full of joy, full of innocence, heading towards what they saw as this bright future. And on top of that, the fact that they had a video camera as we know it, right? A, a moving picture camera is what they would have would have called it back in the day. So there is this lost promise of footage of Titanic. It is also a reminder that in 1912, there was technology brewing that we were on the cusp of the very modern era on the cusp of the era of just going to the movies anytime that we want. And I think sometimes Titanic feels so far away. But in 1912, as Jack Dawson mentions mentions in the Cameron movie, we have Nickelodeons, we have moving pictures. So I want to talk about Daniel's background first. Daniel Marvin was born in Canastota, New York in 18... 94. Yes, you are doing the math right. That means he was only 18 years old in 1912. He was the son of Henry Norton Marvin, who was one of the founders of Biograph Studios, 
which was originally known as American Mutoscope and Biograph Company. So this company that his father was an elemental part of really existed between 1895 and 1916. So one year before this company was founded, Daniel, his son, was born. It was the first company in the United States devoted just entirely to film production and exhibition. It made something like, oh gosh, let me look back at my notes. Yeah, 3,000 shorts and 12 feature films. <laughs> not that we, not as, not as long as the feature films that we would think of today. It was started by William Kennedy Dixon. He was one of the inventors at Thomas Edison's labs who really did help pioneer technology of moving images. Dixon did. And he partners with Henry Marvin. They incorporate in 1895. They are competing directly with Edison. It is their uh, mutoscope technology versus Edison's technology in this competition for an audience with Nickelodeons. Nickelodeons. Talk about a, a crazy, wild, interesting history. Uh, not time today, but there is quite a history there. Now, prior to 1903, most of what they produced were little shorts, you know, small documentaries, like little, you know, clip of the Empire State Building, little clips that may not seem much to us now because we can video anything we want on our phone right from our pocket. But when you had never seen a moving picture, it was an alarming and inspiring thing to see a three-minute clip of the Empire State Building. If you lived in California and you didn't have a ton of money, you may never go to the Empire State Building. The idea of traveling to New York City and going to the Empire State Building would sound as crazy as going to the moon for some people. So if you could pay five cents and watch a video of it, they felt about that the way that we feel about virtual reality, I would have to imagine. That's the the best analogy I could come up with in my head. Some of the stars with this company are people we recognize, you know, today, some of the earliest quote unquote movie stars. Mary Pickford, she was known as the Biograph Girl. Uh, Lionel Barrymore, you know, as in Drew Barrymore's ancestor, uh, Lillian Gish, you know, some of the earliest moving picture stars. Now, ironically, I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, they eventually stopped competing with Edison and rejoined forces with Edison, form a trust to protect them both against all the other competitions, <laughs> of course, right? Now, Daniel had two brothers. And one sister. And his family is just firmly ensconced in New York society. And I couldn't see, I didn't see this written explicitly anywhere, but uh, it's very clear to me that they had residents in New York City, uh, in Manhattan. Manhattan, they were spending quite a bit of time there. Uh, so Daniel is raised among the New York elite, but he's also raised understanding technology. He's raised with all of this really early, cool. Uh, film technology and seeped in it. And I couldn't find a ton of information about what his childhood was like. I am very grateful that we have as much information about the Marvins as we do, but I wish we knew a little bit more about 
him as a person. Because the next thing we really know is that he falls in love very young and marries very young. He, at some point in the New York society scene, uh, when he is 17, meets a woman named Mary. Mary Graham Carmichael Farquharson, F-A-R-Q-U-H-A-R-S-O-N. Not touching that one again with a 10-foot pole. Uh, she was, and I say that with respect, just don't want to mispronounce people's names too much. Uh, Mary was born in Edinburgh, actually. Uh, we don't, don't get a ton of Scotland connections with Titanic, so I loved that. Uh, she was born in Edinburgh in January of 1894, also very, very, very young at the time of Titanic. She was the daughter of a carpenter and a dressmaker. They left Scotland in April of 1900 when she was just six years old. And they came over as second-class passengers on an Atlantic liner, and they settled in Manhattan. And what's amazing is that they worked themselves, the family worked their way up into apparently very elite society because by the time Mary is 16, 17 years old, she is a debutante uh, premiering on the scene of elite New York society. So they had a a dressmaking shop in Manhattan uh, called a Modiste, uh, M-O-D-I-S-T-E. And this was run by Mary's mother and Mary's aunt. And they worked really hard to build a brand. Society clamored for their dresses. I, again, wanted to know more. I'm grateful we have this information, but I wish we knew more. Uh, Mary apparently would wear their dresses around town to advertise. She was a very beautiful young woman, very beautiful teenager. Look at her photos, and I'll I'll try to remember to post some on Instagram. She's just gorgeous. And so they they gained a foothold in New York society. So they meet, and their families are not necessarily opposed to the match, but the parents do make the argument uh, that they should wait a while. They're a little too young at, you know, barely 18 years old to marry. They did not listen as teenagers then and now tend not to. Times change, people don't. So they slipped off secretly to City Hall in New York City and got married. But then they kept it a secret. And they just each went home to their respective houses, which is wild to think about. But there's one key element of achieving matrimony here, which is that uh, that allowed them to be together physically. Uh, you know, in, in, in 1912, especially in upper crust society, society. Uh, People didn't speak of these things. There was an expectation that one would wait to be physically romantic with their partner until marriage. Uh, We've talked about this before. That was not necessarily always the case. And many times it was women who were more modern, progressive, and and chose to not uh, follow that quote-unquote rule. But in any case, uh, it became very evident a couple of months later that Mary was expecting a baby. Once the two families 
discovered this information. They said, uh, I, I don't have any evidence of this, but the way it's written uh, and all the sources I came across, it sort of seems like the two wealthy families had a, a come to Jesus meeting uh, together and decided to stage a religious ceremony, an official ceremony, and to record it and to invite people and to make a spectacle of it. Because if there was a child born uh and it, there was any perception that had been conceived out of wedlock, uh, that was a death knell in society at the time, as we've talked about before. They stage a wedding. They actually end up having three wedding ceremonies. And they are married again on March 12th at Mary's parents' house on Riverside Drive. And it is said to be the very first wedding that was cinematrophed aka filmed with a moving picture camera. I don't know that a claim like that could ever be truly proven, but people tend to accept this as such. And we do have photos of it. The film footage has been lost, or perhaps it's with the family and not for public viewing. That's the thing about Titanic. I see a lot of writers, whether just amateur writers, bloggers, comment posts on Encyclopedia Titanica, all the way up to the historical monographs you walk in in Barnes Noble and buy, um, claiming, you know, oh, so-and-so is missing from the historical record, or we should have this source and we don't, or or spec- you know, speculating about gaps in the sources. And the thing is, it's easy to forget that we're not necessarily always owed that from families. And I've said it a million times. I'll say it again. I think a lot of Titanic story is probably in family attics, family diaries, family lore that is just not public knowledge and may never be. And that's 100% the family's prerogative to keep it private. You know, a lot of the stories from Titanic have always and will always remain private. And it's, you know, oftentimes the most public ones that we know about. So they are married and it's filmed. And then they are sent off on glorious European honeymoon. They board the Mauritania and they spend time in London. I believe they spend time in Paris. When they return, they board Titanic in cabin D30. This is on the same level as the dining saloon. And here is where it's really heartbreaking. (laughs) Some of the passengers that survived Titanic distinctly remember Mary and Daniel being a familiar sight on the ship, um, running around laughing filming each other with this large uh, pathé, I think that's how you pronounce it, P-A-T-H-E, camera. It's a French camera that he brought with him. That was a gift from his father. It was a 1909 model. It was this huge cranking thing. Like literally you had to crank a handle on a wooden box and it had to be turned at a very particular speed for it to work correctly. And and that's the imagery you see in the deleted scene from the 97 movie and from the scenes from SOS Titanic. But there are passengers that remember them running around the ship, filming each other. I sort of imagine 
you know, in the 97 movie, that scene where Jack and Rose come out on deck, which is really cold, and they've just been in the Renault, and they're like sweaty, and they're still running from the crew, and they emerge onto the deck, like windswept, and they're so joyful and laughing. That is how I imagine Daniel and Mary Marvin from the accounts that I've read. They were spotted just being caught up with each other. They apparently didn't socialize a whole lot with other people because they were so enamored of one another. And if you look at their photos, like I said, they're just very beautiful people. And I think that they were very genuinely in love and they were expecting a baby. On the night of the 14th, they felt the collision Like many first-class passengers, didn't necessarily think much of it at first. About 45 minutes after they felt the collision, a steward knocks on the door. Again, this is a very common story. Tells them the lifeboats are being loaded. Put your lifeboat on. Put on warm clothes. So Daniel calms Mary. And, And of course, we have this account because Mary survives. She is nervous He is probably also very nervous, but they get dressed. He's comforting her. They decide to bring along her fur coat. Smart decision. And the film from his camera. He takes the film out. So they're led to the port side, and the call goes out for women and children boarding. It's a frantic scene. We've On this podcast, we've been over this a million times. I feel like Groundhog Day when I get to the point of... Whatever episode I'm doing, whatever story I'm telling, whenever I get to this point of the collision, the lifeboat loading, I feel like I'm just giving you Groundhog Day over and over again. So I, I won't, I won't give a ton of details about the loading. We've been there, uh, but Daniel, Daniel, you know, says these words to her. Uh, she relayed later that everything is going to be fine, young girl. Be quiet. I will stay. And that quote changes a little bit based on when she gives, uh, when she provides um, the you know an interview or an account after the fact. But she also says, "quote As our boat shoved off, he threw me a kiss, and that was the last I saw of him." And then Daniel tosses her this heavy film can. She remembers that she kept looking for him, like scanning the railings, trying to keep sight of him as long as she could. And, you know, as I'm saying all of this, (laughs) I am thinking, wow, so much of their story seems to come to life in the imagery of the 97 movie. And now in real time, I am sitting here wondering if perhaps the Marvins were a great inspiration for Cameron, maybe in part an inspiration for Jack and Rose in some of their scenes. So this is a moment lovers torn apart. We have seen, talked about, heard about, however you want to put it, this moment in Titanic many times. And to be to be clear, there are quite a few honeymooners on board Titanic and I'll mention a few more of their names here at the end. This is devastating. This is two 
18-year-olds with the whole world in front of them and a child on the way, the promise of new life, and they are ripped apart. So on the Carpathia, Mary apparently refused to eat or drink. There was talk on the Carpathia that another ship had come to rescue and that some of the survivors might be on another ship. This is a very common misconception. A lot of women held out hope because of this as they were on Carpathia. And so when she arrives in New York, her mother and her mother-in-law are waiting for her. And she says, where's Daniel? Is there, was there another ship? Who else is here? And surely he's coming on another ship. And when she finds out that's not true, she faints. There's a newspaper article about this at the time that she just faints. Mary hid herself at her parents' house for the first months after the sinking to grieve, of course, and to prepare for the birth of her child. Thankfully, six months later, she did give birth to a healthy baby girl um, who would go on to live until, I think that her daughter lived until like 1994. Um So she gives birth to a healthy baby girl, names her Mary Margaret Elizabeth Marvin. Daniel Marvin becomes a father posthumously. She would go on to remarry not long after, I believe it was in 1914, to a man named Horace DeCamp. And they would go on to have two more children. Of course, she remarried. She was so young and had so much of her life to look forward to. But by all accounts, she always, always kept the fire, the flame alive for her love for Daniel and their story and remained heartbroken, I'm sure, on some level her entire life, having lived through the trauma on her literal honeymoon. (sighs) What a way to celebrate Valentine's Day, huh? What have I done? But, you know, I've... I've always had sort of a sort of mixed feelings about Valentine's Day. I mean, let's be honest, it's just a made up holiday. Should love the people in your life that you love every day the same way. But I thought it would be fun to take a look thematically at these honeymooners of Titanic and strip back the story and remind ourselves that even in tragedy, there is love and hope. And the Titanic story is horrid and scary, but it's human. And love really does often conquer all, as cheesy as that sounds. I wanted to share from the Thursday, April 18th, 1912 edition of The Globe, a list of the passengers on Titanic that were in some way, shape, or form honeymooning. So this is in honor of all of these couples that had their time either cut short or inserted with trauma, but their love is part of our history. And when we speak their names and we talk about them, they live on and their love lives on. So in honor of Valentine's Day. Um, And this is all a direct quote. So if any of it's wrong, not my fault. (laughs) Among the passengers of the ill-fated Titanic were a number of honeymoon couples 
whose names, according to the Chronicle, are as follows. Colonel and Mrs. J.J. Astor, who were returning from their honeymoon tour in Egypt. Mrs. Astor is reported to have been saved, while her husband is among the missing. Mr. and Mrs. D.W. Marvin, returning to America after a three-month honeymoon. That's not correct. I will intercept that. That's It was five weeks uh, tour in England. Mrs. Marvin was rescued, but her husband, the son of the head of a large cinematograph firm, cinematograph, I can never say that word properly, is believed to have been drowned. Mr. and Mrs. Bean, married at Norwich three days before the Titanic sailed. Both saved. Definitely an episode. The Beans probably returned to them. Mr. Sedgwick, engineer of St. Helens, married a week before leaving England to take up an appointment in South America. His bride was to have followed later, not in the list of survivors. Mr. and Mrs. McNamee married a month ago and neither in the list of survivors. Mr. McNamee, one of the branch managers of Lipton's, was on his way to take up a post in New York. Mr. and Mrs. Marshall on a honeymoon trip to California. Mr. Marshall was partner in a big boot business in Scotland. Now, to be clear, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll interrupt myself on this one too. I could not find anything. I'm double checking. I could not find anything about the Marshalls um, and Titanic that they existed. I don't know who they are. If anybody knows, I was just double checking Encyclopedia Titanica to make sure I wasn't crazy while I talked about that. I couldn't find anything about them. Who knows if they're real? Mr. Alfred Davis of West Bromwich married two days before the boat left. He was accompanied by his two brothers and his brother-in-law. And the Reverend T.R.D. Biles from Leeds sailed in the Titanic for the purpose of officiating at the wedding of his brother, which had been arranged to take place in New York on Sunday. So just a list of people deeply affected by this tragedy who were celebrating the start of new chapters in their life together in love. I hope that on this Valentine's Day, you are with people you love. doesn't have to be a romantic partner. Valentine's Day can be about all sorts of love. Uh, I just hope you're with people that you love and that you appreciate and appreciate you and that they put a smile on your face. That's what matters. So thank you for listening to this kind of fun little thematic episode. I couldn't let Valentine's Day pass without doing something special. I do want to make a couple of announcements. Really fun. So on April 12th, there will be a screening of the new film called Unsinkable. I have I did not have anything to do with the making of this movie. We just happened to have the same uh, name, which isn't that much of a coincidence in the Titanic community. Uh, but uh, it is Unsinkable. It is about the Senate hearings in New York right after the sinking and Senator Smith, who of course ran those. It's using the hearings as its source material, but it's and Smith, I believe, is the main character. But it's introducing other characters. It's creating some intriguing story work around that scenario. I'm very excited to see it soon. So on April 12th, it's going to be playing in Knoxville as part of a special screening. There's going to be some cast and crew in attendance, uh, including the director and writer of the film. Uh, This event will be 
co-hosted by the Titanic Museum at Pigeon Forge and the film Unsinkable. They have asked me, I'm so excited, they have asked me to come and moderate and run the Q&A for the cast and crew after the film. So please come and join me at this screening if you are in Knoxville, if you are in Pigeon Forge or anywhere in the Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina sort of area where so much is drivable. I hope you will think about joining us. Uh, The link for that will be in the show notes. You can always go to Titanic Museum Pigeon Forge's website and get directly to the info as well. You can also find uh, the movie's website and I'll make sure to link that too. So that's on April 12th. And then on April 13th, uh, we are fingers crossed, going to finally pull off an unsinkable live show at Titanic Museum Pigeon Forge. Now, the details on that are a little less formally ironed out just yet, but they are forthcoming. And I will have a guest. I'm not quite ready to announce. I want to make sure we're all finalized, uh, but a great friend of the podcast. And I'm just honestly... I'm stoked that all of this is coming together. I feel like there is such a momentum with the Titanic community around the anniversary of the sinking this year. Um, There's tons of events going on all across the country. Uh, If you're on the West Coast, check out the Titanic Book Club's events. They've got an event at the Queen Mary. Uh, I will try to come up with a comprehensive list of all the anniversary events um, so that no matter where in the country you live, um, you can be aware of what's going on. I know there's some going on in Wisconsin with Veronica Hinky and some of her food presentation. So just a lot. I will keep you abreast of everything developing with uh, our weekend in Knoxville Pigeon Forge. I really hope some of you can join us. And uh, if you are a Patreon member, there will be some perks there. I will be running a live stream of uh, the live show for Patreon only. And if you are a Patreon member who can make it to the show, please message me directly because I will make sure there is special seating for you guys. That's it for now. It's a pretty, pretty big couple of things to announce. You know, I started this podcast in my son's closet. So I'm incredibly proud of where we're headed with all of this. And I couldn't do it without you. If there was nobody listening, this podcast wouldn't be anything. And I know that there are so many of you all around the world from my heart on this Valentine's Day. Truly, thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting the podcast. And uh, I will see you back again soon with another new scripted episode and lots more coming down the pipeline for the spring. And of course, uh, heading into the anniversary and those events. Um, think about joining Patreon. If you'd like to support the pod links in the show notes, uh, as always, uh, rating or review on Apple or Spotify just really goes the distance with helping the pod continue to grow. So if you haven't had a chance to do that, please do. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you guys so much. Bye.